0: Welcome to By the Ghost Light, where we take the national theater news from the Broadway world and tell you why it matters to your little neck of the woods. My name's Ryan.
1: My name's Cassie.
0: I really wanted to do this bit that they do at the James Earl Jones Theater, where I saw Gutenberg this last week, Mm -hmm. where they have an AI recording of James Earl Jones do the pre-show.
1: You wanted James Earl Jones AI to do our pre-show?
0: Yeah, that's what they did. So I think we could probably get away with that.
1: Um, I mean, sure. I mean, listen, one of these days we're going to record an episode where I'm not sick and don't sound horribly sick. And so in the meantime, sure, let's get James Earl Jones to do our our intro so that people don't have to listen to my stuffy voice.
0: I sat down in the theater that day to watch Andrew Rannells and Josh Gad perform. And then James Earl Jones's voice popped out and Darth Vader was telling me to turn off my cell phone.
1: And when Darth Vader tells you to turn off your cell
0: phone, you listen. You absolutely listen uh hi everybody i went to new york as promised and i made it back and oh boy hey there's some stuff happening up there
1: yeah and this episode's mostly going to be you telling us
0: about your trip cassie uh, got some texts and some photos as i went along but cassie has not heard much of this yet no which is different i think from last year
1: possibly who can remember it was maybe a year i ago. don't know it
0: was a whole year ago who remembers that far back so i went and i saw four shows we can talk about the four shows unless you have a uh, Broadway headline from the week between Christmas and New Year's. Not a darn thing.
1: No, I had a dream last night, though, that I had a dream ended last up.
0: last night. You got on the boat to heaven?
1: <laughs> no, I had, had a dream last night that I got to see Sweeney so Todd with you. But uh-huh. they had something had happened to the theater venue. And so they had had to move it into like a middle school classroom
0: perfect and Great. so there
1: were only like five rows of seats perfect and they were selling for like five hundred
0: dollars yeah call it intimate and jack up the prices right yeah. exactly yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and and you were there and i was with a big group of people that you don't know but who in the dream they did know you
0: sure and
1: we were just hanging out in the space where they're going to be performing chatting and then they made an announcement saying the show was going to start and they were like well we don't have tickets so we're going to l- go and i'm standing there going yeah but they let us in And there's a bunch of empty chairs, so do they know that I don't have a ticket? Can I just stay and watch Josh Groban do Sweeney in this middle school classroom?
0: I think there's only one way to find out. Right,
1: exactly. But I didn't stay asleep long enough to actually see the dream version of the show, unfortunately.
0: I did see the actual version of your dream show.
1: Minus one principal actor, yeah.
0: I believe she's better now. Apparently, she got very sick, and she was out for at least two days, maybe three. Rough. So that's not great for her. We're going to go out of order. That sounds good to me. Let's start with Sweeney Todd. I saw Sweeney. I got to sit front row mez, which was incredible, and that place is gigantic. It's the Loupontane Theater. I don't know how many seats there are, but there's so many. And I was sat next to a uh, delightful uh, teenage girl from Britain interesting who was uh she was there with her her mom who's on the other side of her on vacation and they were here for like two weeks to visit family and see a show or two and she was very excited because her her choir teacher often talked about this uh this musical guy that she didn't really know she likes theater but she didn't know this guy uh names um uh uh steven seinfeld
1: (laughs) steven seinfeld's
0: steven seinfeld and really wanted to see a show by him
1: hey you know what i support seeing shows by
0: steven seinfeld so then i asked her very quickly right as the curtain was about to happen if she knew what sweeney todd was about and she said no
1: so that was an educational opening for her
0: Oh boy! Hey, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bad stuff, but there's and some very, very funny good. stuff too. There is some absolutely hilarious stuff. So uh, Sweeney Todd is really long. I always forget how long it is. It
1: is. It's a longer one.
0: Josh Groban is riveting. Good. He's everything. He's everything I wanted wanted him to be. He maintain throughout he had a stoicism to it to his Sweeney like there was a like kind of a resigned uh uh this is the way the world is and this is where I'm kind of stuck in it that he kind of got to break out of into his literal manic episodes and it was a really it was it was played really well I thought it was timed really well um and it's also just three hours of Josh Groban singing Well, his entire range.
1: I remember when he was initially announced as Sweeney and Chase and I were talking about it because he's not he's not who you immediately go to in your head when you think about Sweeney Todd.
0: Absolutely not.
1: And and what Chase and I both kind of agreed on was that Josh Groban has this kind of natural charisma to him like he just Mm -hmm. seems like a warm, friendly guy. And I was very interested. We were both very interested in if that charisma would translate to the stage in this role and how that charisma would impact the role of Sweeney. Because I don't think it's out of place necessarily. I think you can play Sweeney Todd as a charismatic guy.
0: Mm -hmm. He was when he needed to be. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I felt like he was playing Sweeney as autistic. Okay. Okay. I don't know that there's anything to that but there was just something to like he had specific mannerisms he had specific tics that you know he would have certain triggers that would kind of you know set him off right and it just it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit I'm not sure that's the intention at all but that was a reading of it I guess yeah and I mean it's it's uh, Steven Seinfeld so who knows could be
1: how was the Mrs. Lovett understudy
0: The Mrs. Lovett understudy is Jenna DeWall. Um, She's a standby for Mrs. Lovett and for Beggar Woman too, so she swings for both of those roles. I did see Ruthie Ann Miles as the Beggar Woman so that was amazing. Uh, She was fantastic. Um, Jenna was good. She did everything correctly and I was watching her play a character somebody else should have been playing.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: I was I was watching the understudy try to play the role the way the uh, principal plays the role which kind of goes back to things we've been talking about of like when does the role become more than the person who originated it and she was a lot more Angela Lansbury than I thought she would be having seen clips of how Anna Lee mm-hmm, approaches mm-hmm. this and especially the Tiny Desk concert that Uh, everyone should go watch of yes Sweeney Todd it's about 25 minutes it's very good you can find it on YouTube Um, but there's a like a sort of like playful manic energy that Anna Lee has yes that you cannot replicate yeah and I was watching someone try to do that and Like, there's one part where she, like, uh, does the splits down the stairs, Mm -hmm. and it worked, and it was funny, and everyone clapped for it, but it wasn't quite played as well as it would have been. It was just a couple of things. I'm like, you're doing a great job, and I'm sure in a week and a half when this role is yours for a month, then you can, like, make it your own for a month, and that'll be great, Jenna, but... I really did miss seeing Annalie do this.
1: I felt the same way when I saw the Into the Woods tour in Chicago and Stephanie Block was out for basically the mm-hmm. whole Chicago run. She was very, very sick. Um, mm. And her understudy, the Baker's Wife understudy, again, very talented. It's a hard role and she did it well, but I, I think you've hit on it. It did feel like I was watching somebody one step removed from the actual role
0: it's if you sit in a rehearsal room and you watch somebody do a role over and over and over and over and over like you can do go through the motions and you can hit all the marks but you don't have the same motivations because you're not that person it's not in your head so she played it very well she played it straight and then there were times when she would do a like a very specific thing i'm like oh okay that's what Annalie does mm-hmm. and i mean you have to keep doing it because that's what Annaly does uh josh was fantastic loved him um i did see uh so it's a new to uh, a new tobias daniel marconi is in that role right that was gonna be my question is oh my god is who's
1: who's replaced toby and who's replaced um jordan fisher as
0: anthony jordan fisher was replaced by daniel yearwood who can also uh he can just sing like they're, they're both clearly like incredible vocalists I always forget how boring that Anthony role is because he literally just he kind of stands around and talks to Sweeney, and then he has to sing all these duets with Joanna. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's uh, all right. You better sing and you better be charismatic because that is your whole job, my dude. But no, they were both very, very good. Felt like uh, Tobias uh, Toby looked a, looked a little older than he should have, even on stage. But you have to have an adult.
1: I don't necessarily mind toby being older but i think you have to lean into it so there was a a a version a while back where neil patrick harris played toby and didn't try to a while back a while back but but didn't try to he was he was a grown adult but he didn't try to play toby like a child he played toby Mm. like an adult but like a slightly developmentally delayed adult Okay. Like simple is the word I was going to use, but that's not quite
0: sure. No, it's not quite right. Not but quite it right. Gets but like, across.
1: you know, just very earnest, very, you know, all in with Mrs. Lovett because he feels that she rescued him and kind of single-mindedly obsessed in that way with that idea. Mm. And it, it worked. So I think that Toby as an adult can work, but you do have to play it a very specific way. You have to still have that. Childlike innocence about the character.
0: Yeah, I could talk about each one of these shows for an hour, so I'm trying to push through it a little bit more too. That's but fair. If anybody wants to know more, uh, ask me some questions in our Discord server. I will talk about this forever. The entire cast is solid. Everybody's good. Uh, special shout out to John Rapson who plays Beetle Bamford and definitely played him as. Uh, I was going to go with flaming gay, but he's a married. The character's married, but was like high pitched the mannerisms mm-hmm, the everything mm-hmm. was very clearly leaning into that stereotype and to see that like right next to uh, Jamie Jackson's Judge Turpin who was as evil and conniving and MAGA as you would want him to be
1: mm-hmm.
0: and just I feel sorry for the guy because he's got to play that role eight times a week and that's got to mess with your head like playing Sweeney Eight times a week, it's got to mess with your head, right? Yeah. But playing Judge Turpin eight times a week, there is no redeeming qualities there at all. The cast is fantastic. They can sing. They can sing. The opening number from Sweeney Todd was performed at the Tony Awards, and it is a very good showing of what the show is, uh, what they do with the chorus, all of the choreography and everything. They do a lot in whenever they describe the past, so whenever they're telling the story of what happened to um Sweeney's wife what happened to his daughter they do all that they act it all out okay behind behind or above so uh beggar woman does a lot more
1: interesting okay
0: so they have her take the wig off and do a whole costume change and then go act out at the the scenes as as you know mrs lovett is describing what happened or they're talking about the past is
1: the twist still there for the audience like you don't know that it's the same actor
0: you absolutely do not okay. know it's the same actor. I knew it was the same yeah. actor because I knew the show and because I know what Ruthie and Miles looked like. Right. But like, ba- you can never see the face of Beggar Woman.
1: Okay, that, that and helps. And the
0: physicality is so different she's I guess she's spoilers for Sweeney bent-
1: Todd if you're not aware of that plot twist. if you don't know Sweeney twist. Todd
0: yet. But yeah, there's a big old plot twist towards the end there that I haven't actually said out loud no. what it is No, yet, but you but could intuit. it. Yeah, but the Beggar Woman, her physicality, like, she was like hunched mm-hmm. over like hunchback style for most of it and had her hands like the backs of her hands against the small of her back the entire time and moved around like that the entire time and it was it was very jarring Uh, it was very good the tech did everything it needed to do uh the lights were good um there was so much fog just constantly because that's this show yeah um all all the blood was very good the set is pretty cool sparse by broadway standards but every single thing does some very specific things there's a big old crane on the stage that um spins and moves and is functional because it uh they literally crane in the barber chair okay too they literally crane it in like josh groban is like standing there like guiding the airplane into land to get the box down so that um, Sweeney Todd can finally have his chair that he's so excited for, uh, which cool. I thought was a really nice touch. That's cool. Um, and then you watch him, like, unpackage it from the crate and get it all in the right spot and get it all locked in. And then he immediately kills somebody. And it's so smooth. The night I was there, the audience could not stop laughing.
1: Okay. At the deaths. I mean, so, listen, this show's a dark comedy.
0: It is a dark comedy. Yeah. But everybody kept dying because it's also like choreographed and set to music, and there's not really time to sit in it. Yeah. And this is, you know, in, in Act Two, when he has the barber share and he's already killed um, uh, the barber. I don't remember the character's name off the. Pirelli, thank you. When he kills Pirelli in Act One, like there's no laughter there, but in Act Two, once they start the whole routine of what they're going to do with the pies and the everything. The audience responded with a lot of laughter, which I th- found interesting because how else are you gonna like deal with it? Like, yeah, how else are you gonna process? Oh gosh, uh, how long am I stuck here watching? How many people die yeah. and there's blood? Like, it's a slide, right? The chair goes flat. They dump the body down the chute. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, the giant, the giant oven was very good. Everything was done very well. I will spoil one bit of the ending: how they decided to do it. Because uh, I, I like it a lot and most people won't actually physically see it. Um, at the beginning of the show, they have uh, Sweeney uh, come up out of the trap door. Right. Right. And that's a whole part of it. At the end, after they, they get to the, the epilogue of the show and Sweeney and Lovett and everybody that are, is dead come out and they sing again. And they have them go like arm in arm upstage and we watch them literally like step off and like dead fall down through that trap oh, door. Cool. And that's the blackout. That's neat. It was really cool because they, they were everybody was downstage and they were finishing it, singing everything up and then they turned and started going. I'm like, where are they going? There's nowhere to go. There's nothing there. There's nowhere. There's a big old hole. Oh, this is going to be great. And it was it was really good. You can listen to cast recording. Um, I'm sure there's stuff all over uh, YouTube and TikTok You could probably piece together Watching a good amount of the show uh, Josh and Annalie are only in this Through January 14th And then we get Aaron and Sutton On February 9th Boy I'm sure we'll talk about this more later When it happens too but my two cents right this second Is that uh, the Mrs. Lovett Role will change greatly and Sutton will do Whatever Sutton's gonna do mm-hmm. And I don't know how Aaron does this at all Yeah I don't like, I'm sure he can act it, but it's not like Sweeney only sings three songs. I forgot how much of this show Sweeney Todd has to sing. Oh, yeah. And it's in that baritone bass range the whole time. And I'm sure they're going to figure out a way to do it, but I don't know how that's going to work. But they're going to make a bunch of money doing it.
1: Yes, they are. So you saw Sweeney Todd, but you started your trip seeing
0: a repeat show. A repeat show. And now for something completely different. I had two very different days. I had day one, which was just joy and happiness. Uh And day two, which was dark, death, villainy, and evil.
1: You planned that out beautifully then.
0: I really should have flipped them. Or maybe like done one of each <laughs> on each day. Um, so I had a really really good first day, and that second day, like I was ready to go to sleep that night. I did not need anything else. But the first day, I went to Anne Juliet uh, for the matinee because there were only a couple of matinees available on the twenty sixth. Which is, you know, I probably should have thought that through a little bit more. But I went back and saw Anne Juliet, and I basically saw a whole new cast. Okay, which was which was cool. Uh, Lorna Courtney and Betsy Wolf are the two Tony nominees. They were out, so I saw understudies for those. And then uh, Stark Sands, who was the original Shakespeare, uh, is out completely, uh, and Austin Scott has stepped in. So I saw it—you know a new Juliet, a new Anne, and a new Shakespeare, which are you know the three biggest roles in the show. It felt like seeing a different show in some respects. Obviously, I know this show really, really well. I love this show very, very much. And I enjoyed getting to see different people try to take it on. I think Lorna Courtney's performance and why she got Tony nominated for it is a little bit understated because her her Tony Award performance wasn't super great. And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, she's just playing Juliet and singing pop music. And then I saw her understudy, uh, Rachel Webb, who can uh, sang and was very, very good. But it was at the same, like, you're you're trying really hard to do to step into a tony nominee's shoes can you imagine if your job was to show up to work one day not knowing if you're going to have to take over for a tony nominee that's just their job
1: there's a lot about broadway i could never do which is actually most of it (laughs) uh but yeah that that's wild to think about and to know that like Maybe not so much with Angelia, but definitely with Sweeney Todd, like to know that there are people who will leave the show because you are performing.
0: Yes, absolutely. When I did get an email for Sweeney Todd that morning saying that Annalie was out for the day and if I wanted a refund, I had to contact them by a certain time that day. But that like that was an email that was sent out. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Juliet is so, 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 so much fun. I love this show so much. Um, I got to sit front row. It's the first time I've ever sat front row for a Broadway show. It was really, really cool. I was right there. Um, and they still did the thing at the beginning of the show where the cast comes out and starts interacting with the audience in the front row. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the first time that I've ever, like, actually been a little bit starstruck. Yeah. I I don't, I don't think it's ever really happened to me before. But I'm sitting there and I, I'm like getting ready to like to watch the show and then all of a sudden it's like it's like 10 minutes before the show and then all of a sudden there's like actors sitting on the edge of the stage in full costume trying to hold a conversation with the people around me and find out where everybody's from and i'm like oh hold on i am not prepared for this hi you're right there okay so did you
1: (laughs) did you like Anne juliet as much the second time does it hold up
0: i i think i i might have liked it even more honestly we'll
1: make a convert of you yet
0: yeah it's real good. It's really, really, really good. Uh, and it's just it's just so much fun and it's got so much good energy to it. The Shakespeare adaptation part is really good if you're a Shakespeare person. and then we've talked about it being a jukebox musical, and there's no way around you know how you weave those lyrics in, and everybody's kind of bobbing their heads along because they know the songs. but I think it's part of what gets people invested in it. but it's just really honest and uplifting and there's a lot of important stories that are being told and it's just so much fun and the lights are insane and the set's really cool and the cost oh my god the costumes i had okay so when i saw it the first time i was all the way in the back of the house so i did not notice the intricacies of all the costumes uh as much as i did when i was front row but then i'm front row and i'm like oh my god everyone has like nine or ten costumes so Min, like it was insane
1: so reinforcing the question of why didn't this show win best costumes
0: I have no idea because I already felt like it a little bit but now that I sat front row for it and went oh my gosh it's everywhere and the detail on it and the uh on each individual piece but also how like the, they combined contemporary dress with Shakespearean garb but also like this is what you expect a Shakespearean actor to wear but also like those are jean shorts but also that's a tool dress but also that's somehow a, uh, a puffy pirate shirt and it's all working and that's a corset but it's also like a varsity jacket somehow like it, it's oh my gosh it's just it's just so good uh, they All come out at the beginning and the conceit is that uh, Shakespeare's about to put on uh, his next big hit, Romeo and Juliet, and he's just finished writing the ending. So as the show's starting, the actual cast is coming out and getting the stage set and they're all like warming up and dancing and singing little riffs and talking and getting ready to perform Romeo and Juliet. So it's like a show within a show kind of a thing. And then Anne shows up and takes the script, and they start doing Anne Juliet, and it kind of goes from there. But the costumes that they're wearing at the beginning, when they are all uh, playing um, Shakespeare's actors, for lack of a better term, all of them have somewhere on uh, their top, the back or the side, they have a uh, name of one of Shakespeare's plays.
1: Oh, cool. Cool.
0: Like, it's either, like, the back of their shirt or, like, down a sleeve or, like, one of them had, it like, uh, a jacket that was buttoned over that had, I think it was much ado on one side and about nothing on the other side. Like That's cool. It was really cool. And it's those little details that yeah. I just, you don't pick up on otherwise. Uh, it's really cool. It's a really good show. It's super fun. Eventually, it'll tour. And I can't wait for more people to see it. But I don't see it leaving broadway anytime soon honestly because that theater is still packed and that theater's packed every night it sounds like good but the thing that i did get to do that i didn't know was a thing anymore because of covid was i did get to do a stage door for this show Oh, so jealous oh my gosh i it's amazing so here i will hold up the uh, the i have my program now framed i got about a dozen of them to sign it and i got some of the confetti that they shoot out too um, it was, real. It was really, really cool because, because um, it was it was several understudies performing too. So yeah. they got to ha- they got to do the stage door thing, and, and that's they got really to cool. Do it, and it was all really cool, but just the joy that this show brings. It was so so clear because there was one girl, I she might be twelve. I don't know. <clears throat> I saw her walking into the theater and then walking out. Um, and kind of hard to miss because um, she's blind.
1: She's okay. She's
0: walking with her, her cane and her mom or her, and her grandma or whoever's with her, and it's a whole thing. But she's so wildly excited for this show, and she, she makes it out to the stage door at the end, and it was just the, the, the pure joy for her to just get to meet these people that are singing these songs that she loves and this show that she can't even see. Right. She's just hearing.
1: That's really, really wonderful.
0: It was really, really, really cool. All of the cast that came out to sign, they took their time and they were clearly like, you know, not just going through the motions, but like, Hey, this means something to us that we're all doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they all, you know, took their time with um, this girl and took pictures and did the whole everything. And it was, Really, really cool to see and, you know, kind of restores your faith in humanity a little bit.
1: Yeah, I've only stage door once. And it was when I went to New York with my friend Maggie and we saw Peter and the Star Catcher. Mm-hmm. And we went into the stage door after that because we were not going to pay to stay all night in New York City. We literally went up for the day because uh, we were living okay. in Virginia. And so it was like a five hour train ride there and back. Sure. Um, so we caught the train at like three in the morning to go up mm-hmm. to New York city. And we were going back at like two in the morning. So nice. we didn't need to get to a hotel. We were just going to go sit in a train station. So we're like, we can stand at the stage door and wait for all these actors.
0: Absolutely. you can.
1: Um, and it was a really, really cool experience. And I got a picture with Celia Keenan Bolger. Uh, Cause she nice. was still in the show at that point.
0: Was Christian Borrell still in it?
1: No. I saw all the original cast except Christian Borrell. He'd already I left. Except
0: Christian Borrell.
1: Okay. Um, unfortunately. But I, I saw Celia Keenan-Bolger. I saw Andrew chandler Beret, and other names that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. But really, really solid performance and, and wonderful experience. Um, and yeah, all the other times that I've gone, I've either didn't know that doing the stage door was a thing. Sure. Or it was COVID. And, and so I would love to be able to take a trip back and to get that experience again.
0: It hadn't even crossed my mind that mm-hmm. this was a possibility. Like I literally left the theater and turned the right way and saw they had the barricade set up yeah. and there were some people waiting. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is happening. I'm doing this. This is amazing. I guess we beat COVID.
1: Hooray. COVID's not a thing Hooray. anymore.
0: No, nobody is sick. Super cool, super, super, super cool experience, Um, and I will go see this show whenever you want, Cassie.
1: Hey, don't threaten (laughs) me with a good time.
0: (laughs) In three years, when it shows up at the Stranahan, we'll be like, okay, Cassie, it's finally time. It's finally
1: time, yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Chase didn't give an outright no on the Patreon about funding funding tickets with patreon funds he
0: it was not an outright no there there are criteria
1: we have to meet but you know
0: (laughs) look Sweeney Todd as character research for Cecil on another path it's a very real thing hey absolutely he killed a guy and then made tea out of him and then sold the tea that's a very Sweeney thing to do it's a very Sweeney thing to do we had to hide the body it was a whole thing Shout out Another Path. It's a pretty cool thing. Also shout out to uh, you and I, Cassie, for having our fingers squarely on the pulse of uh, the Broadway world because uh, you get the playbill for every show and the way the playbills work, for those of you that may or may not know, it's kind of like a little, it's a little magazine. It's got a bunch of ads in it. It's got some articles in it and then inside each one, it it has the different show information and it has the stuff on the cover, but it's the same uh, playbill Mostly, like 80% of it is the same. So if you go to like three shows in the week, you're going to get three of the same, you know, 80% of the same playbill. So that means that the back cover of all four playbills that I got are the exact same thing. And it's just spirited. Perfect. We're really good at this.
1: We are so good at this.
0: So if you've somehow discovered us from our spirited episode, welcome aboard. It's a good time.
1: What else is a good time? Is the second show you saw on your first day what a segue what a segue i do what i can man so this is this is the show gutenberg it's like not the show i was most excited for you to see but it's the show i was definitely most curious about like cuz all i know about gutenberg the musical is that it's very meta it's a show pitch within a show and it's it's hilarious but i don't know anything about like the actual songs or the plot or anything like that
0: Okay, it is absolutely hilarious, Um, and I uh, have a present for you, Cassie, that I will let you borrow. Ooh.
1: (gasps) You have the script.
0: I have a script for Gutenberg. Phenomenal. They are. I went to the Drama Club bookshop. We love Uh, the Drama Club bookshop. We love the Drama Club bookshop. So yes, I have a couple of uh, scripts here now. That I'm sure uh, you'll want to read too. One is uh, Gutenberg. Uh, I also have Hades Town now. Oh, excellent! And I had to uh, get the Kimberly Akimbo script mm-hmm. too. So you know, there's some light reading for you um, that I will do as well. I also did do do have an actual present for you, and I'll give this to you next time I see you. But we uh, they sell magnets and everything, right? Yeah. So I do in fact have a Shucked magnet for you.
1: Corn show for the win.
0: Corn show for the win. And
1: I have a box of candy for you, so it all works out.
0: That's a fair trade. Absolutely. But part of the reason I have the Gutenberg script is because I saw the show Tuesday night and left the theater going, I want to know how much of what I just saw is actually the script Mm -hmm. and how much of it is just Josh Gad and Andrew Rannell's riffing. Yeah. I don't know yet. I haven't read it, but there's a lot of riffing and there's a lot of improv moments. And then it's probably like 80% scripted. And then they have room to work around and change it night to night, however it feels or fits. And, but on the other hand, it also felt like I was just watching two very good friends who really knew the show that they were doing, doing their absolute best to break each other for two hours. And it worked they kept breaking each other. Well, and it's the other. kind of
1: show where that's fine. Like
0: it, yeah, exactly. As long as it's at the right time. Yeah, most of the time it was at the right time. There was only like one or two that like they they broke and they couldn't quite recover, which made it funnier. Um, this is the funniest thing I saw in two days. Uh, I'm also also if I'm ranking the four things I saw, this would be number four. Okay, still very very good, still very very funny. Not much of a point to it but how how can there be they they do like go into the backstory of their two characters Bud and Doug they talk about how trying to take a hold of your dreams and finding you know uh, things you can achieve in life and things to look forward to and they do a really 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 cool moment at the end of the show where the entire set which has never changed once in the entire show radically changes and we watch Bud and Doug turn and watch this like ramshackle set of this rented out theater that they're doing a reading of their show for to transform into the set for the musical that they've spent the last two hours describing.
1: That's cool.
0: And it was, it was really, really cool, but you can only do that on Broadway.
1: Yes. You gotta have that Broadway money.
0: You gotta have that Broadway money. And if your script only works because you have Broadway money, I don't know if your script works. Like, okay, sorry. I don't know. I don't know. Some of the music in this is really good. So for those of you that might not know the conceit of Gutenberg, it's Bud and Doug have written a musical and they are uh, uh, Bud's uncle died and left him some money. So they rented out a theater for one night and one night only to pitch to a bunch of Broadway producers, the audience uh, to try to get them to pick up their show Gutenberg. Uh, to, to take it onto Broadway. So it's Bud and Doug playing every single role, and then they have these large, garish, yellow mesh trucker hats that have different character names written across the front of them in bold font. And uh, they go. it just kind of goes from there. Uh, it's called Gutenberg because they base it off of Gutenberg the guy who invented the printing press so there's a lot of bible jokes a lot of religious jokes so there's two shows to this right there's the show of hey we're trying to put on a show and then there's like the actual show that they're writing the actual show they're writing is not great but they're trying their best it feels a little bit hunchback uh, and it feels a little bit like dark Disney Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. bit Um, and it kind of works kind of doesn't work and then at times it feels like book of mormon and then at times it 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 just kind of falls apart a little bit but it, it mostly worked but honestly it's there to be it's mostly there just to to push the plot forward and be funny like they decide that the the woman who is gutenberg's love interest who works for gutenberg uh her name must be helvetica
1: <laughs> that's that's funny
0: it's really funny um and then they, they make about seven Helvetica jokes, which is about three, too many. Yeah. But they keep going. The bad guy is, they just call him Monk, and he's like a very, very bad priest. Like he, he hates God and loves Satan and is the epitome of evil. Like the entire show goes red. Like all the lights change to red, all the set changes to red when he sings his big villain number because they're really leaning into all the stereotypes. Yeah. But then you have... Uh, You know, Josh Gad and Andrew Randall's both, like, singing three octaves of range because they have to play male and female characters, both for purpose, because that's the way this goes, but also for laughs, but also because they both have the stupid ranges. So it works because it's the two of them. I don't know if it works without the two of them. Still glad I saw it. Laughed so hard. Mm -hmm. Had a great time.
1: And now you have to reveal for all of the listeners who your celebrity guest producer was.
0: Yes. The celebrity guest producer comes up at the end of the show and uh, gives Bud and Doug a Broadway contract, thus ending the show. It's amazing that they have to have a celebrity guest producer at every show. Otherwise, the show can't end. <laughs> like, it's it literally ends the show. Like, they hit a wall, they can't go any farther, and then this person steps out of the wing. And they're like, hey, here's your, here it is. And then, so, like, if you've seen it on TikTok, Bud and Doug do the whole thing with the celebrity uh, producer. And then they get the contract and they hug and then they turn up stage. And that, on all the TikTok videos, it goes dark there and that's the end of the video. Mm -hmm. That's literally the end of the show. Like, the next thing is the set changing and then the show's done. That's it. Okay. Mine was Randy Rainbow. I don't know who that is me either i had to google it too he does like uh like youtube political okay funny interviews um i some people that i've told it to have been like oh i know him and i'm like great i didn't because um, the the people so that, was...
1: that i saw like on the days on tiktok surrounding your trip were neil patrick harris and mm-hmm. his husband one yep. day and then lin-manuel miranda another day
0: Yep, I missed both of those. Yeah, when I was standing in the line outside, um, I, I kid, I can't make this up. I, we were standing in the line outside to get in the theater. One of the SUV, there's so many black SUVs, but a black SUV goes by the theater with the window down, and everybody starts shouting. It's Darren, Chris. I was so excited. <laughs> I thought yeah. that Darren was going to be. The celebrity guest producer, and anything less than that was going to be a letdown anyway. At that point, that's fair. That's um, fair. But uh, yeah, funny show, good show. Uh, I'm sure we'll get the music. I don't even know if there's a cast recording of it. Out I haven't or heard not.
1: anything about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. It's fun. If we find a way for it to work without two very specific people doing it, that'd be great um there was a um a James Earl Jones AI recording at the top of the show as the pre-show announcement yes. and that was that set the tone very 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 well cuz to hear uh James Earl Jones call himself an AI was a a, a 2023 weird thing i did not have on my bingo card <laughs> um I am I am not sure if it was actually AI generated or if it was James Earl Jones. I don't know. Either way is funny. I don't know which way is funnier. Right. So good. Uh, but you know, you, when you have such a recognizable voice, it's like, okay, well, anybody could spoof it, I guess, and we'll call it that. But you know, who else has a I, was, I was about
1: voice? to do the same uh, the same segue because oh, I'm we so have sorry. saved. Would you like? Would you like? To no, do no, the no. Segue? It's fine. It's, it's out there now. Okay. But we have saved. Um, the show I was actually most excited for you to see for last. And it is, of course, Patrick Page's one-man show, All the Wicked, Devils Are Here.
0: Wicked 20. I went back. It was not very good. I don't know why anybody goes to see this show. I know that's and... not true, Ryan. <laughs> you sent me pictures. <laughs> I did. I sent you pictures because I did go see All the Devils Are Here. That theater, the DR2, is very off-Broadway. and is uh, It's in Union Square, actually. And it is very small so you were just very very small i was in the back row like i was literally in the back row of this theater there were only 100 people okay back row in this place is not really the back row it's like the middle school
1: classroom that i saw sweeney todd in in my dream exactly
0: yeah that fever dream yeah he was more real than you knew um but i did see patrick page perform all the devils are here how shakespeare invented the villain I don't know how it's the best thing I saw in 2 days. And it was so good. It was so good. I have a mighty need, Ryan. The show starts with Patrick Page not as Patrick Page. So he runs through a bunch of villains in the Shakespearean canon and he kind of takes us on this chronological journey through how Shakespeare created villain as we know villain to be today and kind of went through it and he ends it all with, and he, you know, the last one is Macbeth cause that's kind of the last like villain, villain that Shakespeare wrote. But this play starts with a blackout and a spot on a kneeling Patrick page with a staff whirling his hand, doing the lady M monologue. And then he just snaps out of it and, he, and says, well, that's terrifying, isn't it? Ugh. Like, Oh my god. Oh my god. It's so good. It's so good. They got to film he it. He runs through I need them to film so it. So many. So apparently there is a there is a version somewhere. Okay. He's done variations of yeah. this before. And I and I think it has been filmed at one point. It this is a one man show. So we have a uh list of all of the villains that he runs through. He starts with the Lady M monologue. He, uh, and then he goes to um, Aaron in Titus, Shylock in Merchant, Malvolio in Twelfth Night, Claudius in Hamlet, Angelo in Measure for Measure, Iago from Othello, Edmund from King Lear, Macbeth, and ends with Prospero. I um,
1: freaking love that he ends with Prospero.
0: He does. Because... And- and he uses the same stick that he used for Lady Well, I thought M. that's, that, I thought that's on, what you are going to say when you it were saying it. sits on the, stage yeah. for an hour and a half. It sits on stage for an hour and a half and he doesn't touch it for 90 minutes until he does Prospero again. And then he snaps it in half. But
1: I I love Prospero as the final villain because Prospero is the villain of that show. But 100%. it's not often played that way. No. But Prospero is the villain. And I adore That he's included in this lineup.
0: It's so good. Like, everything he did with this was so good. And it's so... It's so academic and so researched and so presented as such. Like, I felt like I was watching him present his thesis. Like, this is how he got... He becomes Dr. Page or something. Right? Like, But also, you don't have to be a Shakespeare person to follow along. It certainly helps. Yeah. Like... It certainly helps, but it's also it, it's just an exploration of like how people do bad things because I won't recount the whole thing. But the, the short version is that before Shakespeare really created like a relatable villain, like a, 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 a bad guy that had motivations and reasoning and justification for his actions. And you could get to the point where you could say, OK, that's he's the bad guy but I can understand mm-hmm. that didn't exist before Shakespeare came up with it. Okay. And he talks, and he talks a lot about like, you know how before that you played like people would come out and they would play like the idea of like, somebody would come out and play like play lust or play malice. And they'd have this big mask on and be like these, the pastoral plays and all of that stuff. But like, or you would know that that guy's evil because he's black or that guy's evil because he's a Jew. And that's how that worked until Shakespeare kind of took it one step farther and went, you know, what if what if I can create deeply intricate humans that are both the heroes and the villains and let's see what that looks like. Right, cuz that was my and, other uh,
1: yeah. like point a little bit was Shylock is but also isn't the villain Sh- of Merchant Exactly. Of Manus. He is exactly. he is slightly Which, villain, but he is mostly victim.
0: He is mostly victim in that. And it's the smart the smartest thing about this is how our good friend Patrick kind of positions throughout the whole thing and couches a lot with I'm <laughs> far more eloquently, but it's like I'm a white dude. This character that I'm about to portray for you is not. But in order to understand, you know, we have to, you know, perform it as it was intended, and yada 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 yada. And because of that, he was also able to talk a lot about, like, the contemporaries of the time. So, he, like, he talked a lot about um, the Jew of Malta mm-hmm. by Marlowe, mm-hmm. which was a huge hit at the time, but also, you know, fed into anti-Semitism. Yeah. I mean, granted, 1500s anti-Semitism, but anti-Semitism, and then Shakespeare releases the, the Merchant of Venice as kind of like a commercial response yeah, to like this huge commercial hit in the, the Jew of Malta and it's like okay and here's Shakespeare's play about a Jew but what if the Jew is sympathetic
1: well what I appreciate a lot and we talked a lot about this when I took Stephanie Gearhart's uh, Shakespeare literature class in college
0: best class I took
1: we talked a lot about one. how Shylock is the villain not because he's a Jew but just because he's kind of an awful person
0: mm.
1: and and I think that that was an important distinction. like he's not being villainized because of his Judaism. In fact, he's got that very famous speech about we're just like anybody else yeah, if you us, do not bleed not bleed and so, like I think that that's really important, like he's a villain. Because he's actively trying to carve out a piece of a
0: guy's chest. Oh, and the way that got staged. So that scene in particular is one that he did. He would do monologues or little scenes from each one. Sometimes he would do two characters at once because he can, because he's Patrick Page. But he played that scene between Antonio and Shylock and played Shylock so sympathetically, Mm -hmm. but also played them both as like, old friends in a way like or at the very least like business colleagues mm-hmm. that are congenial like and and this is just what it is and it was not villainous at all and then it then a monologues into the if you prick us do we not bleed and was defending Shylock in such an incredible way it was uh, the man's amazing he's absolutely amazing uh, he did for Othello when he played uh, he played Aaron the Moore and he did the uh, the Aaron monologue but he turned it into a conversation between Aaron the Moore and um, the character that from the uh, the contemporary Marlowe play that was very very similar that might have been drawn from each other right that um, was and it's just like see look yeah of course we think one is like the other yeah That's what happens in TV nowadays. Somebody does something cool on TV, and then we see that same idea get percolated out for the next 10 years because people copy. Yeah, that's how we figure out how all of this works, but also, you know, how do we get from Shakespeare just writing a villainous person to Macbeth, where you have a good person that we watch go on the journey of taking their good and throwing it away.
1: Did you have don john on that list did he do don john from much ado about nothing
0: he did not he did not do don john he did do malvolio that's from Night. interesting
1: to me that choice because malvolio is a putz um like he's definitely an antagonist in that play but i don't know that i'd classify him all the way to villain i feel like don john is more of a villain in his play
0: i kind of thought the same thing because he started talking about malvolio and he the way he did it he he talked about it was that on because he the whole thing was chronological to right, right, Shakespeare right, yeah. like and so we that's that was the point right and at this time when this show came out uh, it was right after Shakespeare has reached like financial success mm-hmm. right and they got the globe and he, he's got money in it and, and he's a noble now and uh, he presented Malvolio as like a self insert or, or like a Shakespearean shelf insert of will saying look at this self-made noble who has come across it all and wants everything. And isn't he just the worst?
1: Okay. Okay. So historical context so, like, is important for that. So one. So
0: historical context there. Um, and you know, whether or not it's totally true or not, it certainly could be, or it's, you know, plausible enough that it, it, it makes sense for this narrative. I want a script of this. Yes. Really badly. I don't think it exists yet. Um this has been extended into February, so if you're in New York, um it's absolutely worth it. And uh I did also get to do a talk back. So I'm them.
1: I'm livid about this. I'm just livid.
0: I did get to do a talk back with Patty oh Page. God. So the man is ripped.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, the man is jacked. Yeah. I don't actually know how old he is, but he is in the best shape. Lighting helps, but like, great. Good for you, Patrick. Um, he is apparently also incredibly hard of hearing.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: So, at the beginning of the talk back, he sits down, and obviously, none of us are going to interrupt him ever because it's Patrick Page. Um, but he holds up this little, it almost looks like a smooth stone. He holds it up and he's talking about how he's a little hard of hearing. So I think the guy's name was Bill, the guy who's working the, at the theater. He was the usher. He says, Bill's going to take this around and whoever has ask their question, you have to hold this in the palm of your hand and um, it's Bluetooth to my hearing aids. Oh, cool. And the vibration will work. You don't have to... Shout! You speak normally, and the vibration goes to That's his wild. hearing aids, and it's, it's absolutely That's wild. wild. It, but of course, Patrick, yeah. Patrick, Patrick hey, Page has this. Yes, of course. He does. I
1: mean, like I've got the shocks headphones where they don't go into your ear; they sit. Not these that I'm wearing right now because I don't know how to connect these to my computer. But mm. the the ones I use with my phone, they just sit on the bone right outside my ear, sure, and they yeah. transmit the music through vibrating the bone it's not Which is, direct input the
0: first time i put a pair of those on it like it was just wild because you can hear the you rest can of still world. hear
1: everything fine
0: but you can hear the music fine too yeah. it's great so yeah something like that similar technology but
1: that's really cool
0: <laughs> it was really cool i don't know how it works on stage when you're like acting with other people being that hard of hearing that's, like, a, I don't whole know. that's a
1: whole big conversation that other, we should get I don't, I don't know we should get kendra joe brook on to talk about it because she's um she's losing her hearing a, a classmate of ours uh-huh. um and yeah. she's really pushing for better accessibility in theater and that would be a really interesting conversation to have that
0: would be a really interesting conversation to have the, the closest i've gotten to it is i saw the deaf west spring awakening yes which is still the best piece of art I've ever experienced. Um, and, but hope, I mean, yeah, but Pat, this technology exists now. So I guess maybe it helps. I don't know. But um, the talk back was, uh, it's about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and it kind of ranged from a couple people ask. I did not get to ask the question. I was too far back. I didn't see my hand. Um, so the questions kind of ranged from like one person asked, what are you reading now? And other people asked like, you know how uh, how do you view like contemporary villains like does can you follow that through line that you've presented here today and on and on and on he's an incredibly thoughtful speaker as well but the one thing that he did say that I wanted to like specifically bring up is the thing that has stuck out in my head since it started somebody asked him how he goes about doing prep to play a character to do a role because he talks in the show about when he was asked to play Iago Yeah, he apparently had about a year to prep like he was he knew that far in advance and part of Iago is is this is this a psychopath like is this legitimately like a def, by definition psychopath um, and that's a whole that's a whole thing but they when he talked about preparation for it he talked about how when he has a good amount of time to prepare for a character, how he fuse everything he takes in as part of that character prep, like the different media that he may or may not consume. Like it shifts what he wants to watch, or doesn't want to watch because of what he can take from it to prep. Like even talking about like, if he was playing a dad, cause he is not a dad, he would watch shows that featured that father daughter relationship, like with Lear that when he did that, or he would, You know, just to to try to, you know, gain as much information to bring it all in so that he could have all of these resources and then spit it out. But he called it his acting algorithm.
1: Cool. Okay.
0: How his life turned into like a social media curated algorithm feed where everything that came in very specifically curated down so that everything he experienced was in some way or shape feeding into creating this next character.
1: That's fascinating.
0: And I haven't been able to stop thinking. Yeah. About it.
1: So what was the question you were going to ask Patrick page?
0: I wanted to ask what he thought the difference was between, uh, like, uh, an antagonist and a villain. Okay. Because there's, uh, obviously he was only doing this for like 90 minutes, so he can't hit all of Shakespeare's plays, right. but like Coriolanus was left out. Right. Julius Caesar was left out like are these anti-heroes are these antagonists are they villains but we're doing the show from the villain's perspective Um, Romeo and Juliet there's no villain
1: right the villain is abstract
0: yeah but but Tybalt is an antagonist yes or Romeo and Juliet are the antagonists, depending on your reading of the script but that was what I wanted to to that's a really good question so you know Maybe I'll hear this episode. And
1: hey, Patrick. Hey. Email us an answer. Hey, Patrick. Uh, if you're listening. Uh,
0: um, hey, we'd Dr. love Page. to. Thank Paging. Dr. Page. We'd
1: love to have you on for an episode. Oh, my gosh. That would that'd be fantastic. This man's,
0: this man's voice.
1: Right. Like,
0: I listen, It was, like, it was two hours, like, from start to finish with that talk back. And, like, his voice never cracked. It never. It only changed when he wanted it to, when he did it on purpose for a character. But that voice was just consistent for like two hours I know I've said this incredible
1: multiple times on this podcast but I am gonna say it again if you have not watched this man as Frollo in Hunchback of Notre Dame you need to go to YouTube and search Paper Mill Playhouse Hunchback of Notre Dame and you need to watch it
0: it's so good it's incredible
1: I need to go watch it again
0: he did make his Spider-Man turn off the dark joke.
1: Fascinating.
0: So he did. Uh, he did kind of open the show with one of those jokes. I don't remember the whole punchline, but it was there. Phenomenal. Um, the la- last piece of trivia for this is um, that this piece, this time, was actually directed by someone and wasn't just him. Okay. Which was which I found very interesting. And uh, somebody asked him about it afterwards because they're like, "How do you as, as you came up with this?" And you're the lone actor performing it there's no understudy right there's no swing you know how do you let go and have a design team and a director and everything and he talked a little bit about how in previous iterations it hadn't had a director and this time he had asked for um, his friend uh, Simon Godwin to direct it how Simon Godwin has directed many 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 other things a lot of Shakespeare things but also very specifically directed Patrick Page in The King Lear down in DC yeah a year, year, year and a half ago, whenever that yeah. was. So, man, uh, it was dark and educational and at points funny. Like, there were jokes in there, but I'd watch this again in a heartbeat because I've forgotten more about seeing the show than <laughs> I'll ever remember. So.
1: so your definitive ranking of your two-day trip and your four pieces of theater.
0: All the Devils Are Here is the best thing I saw because... I'm a nerd. Yeah. But it was so unique. Yeah. Cause it was not a lecture. It was so clearly theatrical. Like there was every single Shakespearean element had different costume pieces and it had different lighting designs and they had the fog and they had the spotlights and the set changed and for some, they would pull a curtain or they would do all of these things. Like, and then eventually he plays Macbeth towards the end for like a solid 15 minutes and you forget that it's not actually Macbeth that right. you're watching. So, like, it's very clearly theatrical and designed, and they did a very good job of that. And it worked really, really well. But it was such a unique thing. I'll never see anything quite like it ever again. Yeah. Um, I'd probably put Sweeney second, because it was so good. Then Anne Juliet, and then Gutenberg.
1: Well, I'm very, very, very jealous of your entire
0: trip. It was incredible It was absolutely delightful
1: But I'm also very glad that you went and saw these things And could come here and tell me about them And all of our listeners of course But mostly me
0: Mostly for you That's really why we're doing this That's the whole reason this podcast exists (laughs) Oh boy Well uh, did we miss anything else in the theater world? So it is interesting Because this is December 30th right now And this isn't going to come out for a week and a half at this point Mm -hmm. So uh, happy holidays and happy new year Yep I did see one other piece of media uh, since I've gotten back that we should talk about because I don't think you've seen it yet. Maybe this is in two weeks. Uh, there's a new movie out. The rom com is uh, "Anyone But You."
1: I have thoughts. I've only seen the trailer and people online calling it a "much to do about nothing" retelling.
0: It is a "much to do about nothing." Is retelling. It? 100%. Is it? Hundred percent. Is it? Does the so wedding much. go
1: absolutely? Words I can't say because it's a family-friendly podcast.
0: Yeah, sure it does. Okay,
1: good because like that element has to be there because otherwise it's just playing on tropes. With their names,
0: no, 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 no. Their names, their names are Ben and B. I know
1: their b- names. And
0: the, like at one point, they have her type her name as Beatrice just to prove her name's Beatrice. But they also flip, uh, they flip Claudio to Claudia. Yeah, and they change here to Holly. So it's so they're getting married,
1: right? And 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 then it's a
0: whole thing. And they end up in they end up in Australia.
1: I I get that. But I'm saying that there are lots of adaptations that try to call themselves adaptations when all they're doing are sharing names and tropes.
0: But no, they're not no, actually it's an adi- following this the is plot an adaptation. OK. It is an adaptation. Okay. 100%. I want all I want all Shakespearean comedy adaptations to be rated R now. Fantastic. This is rated R.
1: So uh, Martin Luther King Day is coming up and Chase and I both have it yes. off. But the daycare is open. And so we can take Kai to daycare and we can just have a day where we don't have to watch a child or work. And uh, we've talked about like maybe going to see a movie. And I might push for this one if I can convince my husband to go watch a rom-com with me.
0: Listen, it's so – oh, man. It's real funny. It's real funny and it's real good. And it's – like I was sitting there – I'll tell him that I have to
1: see it for the podcast.
0: There you go. That works.
1: Because, like, we have to do a Patreon episode. That could be our Patreon episode.
0: It could be. I kind of do want to watch more High School Musical <laughs> musical, the series, I mean, we though. can
1: do that, too.
0: We can do that, too. But I'm sitting there in the theater watching the watching anyone but you and, like, reaching out and, like, being like, Haley, this is the end of Act One. This is when they do this. And then, like, the beat changes and it's Act Two. And I'm like this is literally it's beat for beat it's beat for beat Fantastic. And she's just like I don't care or understand let me watch this movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh it was great I don't want to there's so many there's so many little nods okay, well, to it listen, I don't want to ruin it no
1: I will tell Chase this has to happen so there you go but this episode is long enough at this point so it is we should probably oh, end man. it there
0: yeah my voice is starting to give out I can feel it going uh, thanks for listening to us and Ryan's New York Trip 2023. I'll come up with a better title in the edit, I'm sure. Broadway's real cool. Art's real cool. If you get to go see shows, they are expensive. There's cheaper ways to see some of them. But, you know, if you can do it and you can make a whole experience out of it, like, it's it's still New York City. Highly recommend. Uh, we are part of the Ghostlight Media Network, uh, which may or may not reimburse me for some of these tickets. Chase? Chase? <laughs> Find us on Twitter X Ghostlight Media, uh, as well as uh, by the Ghostlight Pod. And uh, if you got any more questions for me about any of the shows that I saw, ask them over on the Discord server. And I think that covers all of our all of our buttons here to end 2023. I think so. Yeah. Thank you all so much for sticking with us through this year. We've got some fun things coming up next year. We're each directing a handful of shows, so we'll really get into the the nitty gritty of how that works and how that process works. And hopefully that's interesting and plenty of new Broadway stuff coming too. Absolutely. That's all for us this week. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. Join us next time by the ghost light.